And I also just really believe that improving our relationships improves our, the fulfillment of our entire lives. So you know, when we think about looking back at our lives, when you know we're on our, our last days on the planet, that's the things that we remember. We, we think about, you know, who do we love? Who are we really glad we, we spent quality time with? And what was the quality of that relationship? So I would say to just not underestimate how your happiness is, is contingent on the relationship with yourself. Certainly that's the first most important relationship, but then the relationship with our loved ones. And I invite people to give themselves permission and the space to figure out what that means to them. Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy approach to non-monogamy. However, it's important to remember that everyone does it a little bit differently, and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult a medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy! Welcome to episode 179. We're Finn and Emma, and today we have an interview with Kitty. She hosts a podcast called Loving Without Boundaries. She's also a relationship coach specializing in working with people who are exploring non-monogamy, and she has been personally exploring non-monogamy for almost 20 years. Yeah, it's a fantastic discussion covering a lot of ground. I mean, one of I think one of my favorite parts about it is the discussion around moving in with a partner and yeah. what what that dynamic shift was like having having a partner move in with her and her husband. So it's a great conversation. Thank you, Kitty, for being here. Links to everything that Kitty talks about, all of her work, are uh, on our website in the show notes, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Click on the podcast tab, or just go down in the podcast your podcast player and the little show notes at the bottom, there'll be a direct link there. And also one other quick thing I wanted to just mention here, uh, there is one part of this discussion that maybe as you're listening, think like, oh, they should have edited that out. Um, It was basically a discussion where there was some things said that then got kind of reset, but I didn't really want to lose what was said the first time. And so I just kind of left it in and we rolled with it. I just wanted to throw that out there so people weren't thinking that I was just a sloppy editor. (laughs) just covering my own ass yeah that's important right (laughs) again thank you kitty uh for everything we're super excited and and one other thing sorry that we wanted to talk about where we we mentioned how we met kitty which was at the world domination summit we actually met in 2019 yeah and world domination summit we'll call it wds henceforth (laughs) moving forward uh it got postponed from this year um it was supposed to be the end of june well it was supposed to be 2020 then 2021 now it's in 2022. Yeah. And so this is the last year they're doing it. This is the final one. Next year will be the last year. Next year will be the last year. <laughs> you can't actually buy tickets for it unless you happen to find somebody who has a ticket and is trying to sell their ticket. So it's sold out. But I would highly recommend uh, doing some research on how to find tickets to this because it is an incredible event. Emma and I will be there in 2022. Um, as will Kitty most likely, and yeah, it's just a great, uh, it's just a great conference. Um, so yes, I don't know, just bragging it about it. And oh yeah, and also like you can't get tickets, so it's kind of I don't know. I feel bad, <laughs> but not too bad. But not too bad, just a little bad. Just a little bad. Okay, we have do have a couple of really really fast announcements. Um, next up, our virtual meet and greet is coming up on May 20th. That's a Thursday, 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern. We go for two hours. Come join us, meets lots of fun people. You do not have to be 
actually exploring non-monogamy, but you have to be open to talking about it and interested in it and open-minded. Or just meeting awesome people. Right. Well, that's the whole point is you have to be open-minded enough that you're to be in that space. Well, which you're listening to us. That's true. So we, ho- <laughs> we hope we hope that we haven't offended you so, yet. So I probably didn't have to caveat that. But it's all right. <laughs> Sorry if I offended you. They're, they're $10. They're open to everybody. We would love to see you there. We've been having a blast with these. And yeah, thank you to everybody who's been to ones in the past. It's I was trying great. to say they're very inclusive. That's what I was trying to say. And I did a poor job at it. Hey. Don't, no judgment here. $10, open everyone, go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com to click on the meet and greet tab to sign up. And one other quick thing we wanted to talk about was dates for the upcoming Patreon calls this month. We'll talk a little bit about what Patreon is in the outro, but the short version is if you're looking for a community of other awesome, amazing people who are just supportive and wonderful, our Patreon community, we believe is that community. Yes. We have over 160 members. It's been growing. It's fantastic. We've got a couple of calls coming up this month, like we do every month. On May 17th, we've got a men's call. On the 19th, we have a women's call. And on the 26th, we have our monthly Q&A, which we do twice, once at 9 p.m. Eastern and once again at 9 p.m. Pacific. And now Emma and I get to stay up until one in the morning to do that. I know. So, <laughs> so the West Coasters get, they get sleepy, tired Emma Finn, and Finn. Yeah, they do. <laughs> we give really good answers at one in the morning. Yeah, right. We try our best. Uh, but anyway, if you want to join that community, we'd love to have you. Go to our website. Again, we've said it many times, normalizingnonmonogamy.com and click on the Patreon button for all of the info. And I think with that, let's jump into the show and go talk to Kitty. But... There's more. One more thing. One more. Contact us. Yeah. If you wanna, <laughs> if you wanna contact us, reach out. Let us know how we're doing, or maybe you wanna come on the show and share your story. You don't have to have a podcast. You don't have to be a relationship coach. We love to hear stories from anybody and everybody. Um, that's really the power of the show. And yes. so, reach out to us, share your story with us, and we would love to have you on and or just hear your feedback. Tell us how we're doing. Tell us how much you love us. Yes. If you don't love us. You can keep that to yourself. We don't want to hear it. We're fragile. We We're would like constructive feedback, but we don't need negative feedback, maybe. <laughs> Just, Just send us whatever. We'll respond. You can also leave us a voicemail, and uh, we look forward to hearing from you. Yeah. And now... We would love to hear from any of you, please. All of you. All of you. Any and all. Okay. Now let's go talk to Kitty. Well, welcome, Kitty, to the show. We're super excited to have you here. We actually met you briefly a few years ago at the World Domination Summit, and excited which is to- not as kinky as it sounds. No, but, it's but, not, <laughs> but but still a very fun event. And yeah, very true. And we're hopefully all going again when they do another conference. And so we're excited to meet you then. But thank you so much for being here. Awesome. Yeah, no, I'm totally excited to be here. And I love meeting you back then. And it's cool that we get to meet each other, even if it's just in a Zoom meeting now to keep that conversation going. So yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Well, for, for anybody who doesn't know who you are, do you want to maybe give people a little uh, bio of yourself and then we can jump into your story? Sure. That sounds good. I am Kitty Shambliss and I am a certified relationship coach and I specialize in helping people in untraditional relationships live their most authentic lives free from jealousy, insecurity, shame, or guilt. 
in the open relationship and sex positivity space. And it is a great privilege and honor to do so. And I end up serving often people in the LGBTQ plus community and those wider circles. And I'm very passionate about what I do because I think that we all have a fundamental right to love who we want, how we want, and to do it free from stigma. And that's partly why I'm, I'm so passionate about what I do is to just normalize uh, consensual non-monogamy and, and help make it be more accepted and also give people the, the tools and the strategies to be able to live a beautiful and amazing life on their terms. Mm-hmm. Awesome. awesome. Well, thank you for yeah. for the work you do and, and again for being here. And so we would infer that you are yourself maybe non-monogamous. Um, do you maybe <laughs> want to start by like filling us in like what, what your dynamic looks like and then maybe we go back in time and figure out how, how you got here. That's awesome. Sure. Um, yeah. So the way it looks now is I live with my two partners. So I live with my husband who I've been with for 18 years, married for 14 and my other partner who, who is a uh, cisgendered man. And we've been together for about six years and he's lived here for almost five and they each have other partners um, so, so we have kind of like a, a very unusual family and, um, and in our house we have, um, d- just the two, the three adults, and then we have two fur babies. So my husband and I don't have our own children. Um, that's part of the, the story is we weren't able to have our own children, but, um, our, my partner's partners and, you know, my, my one partner has, um, has a son and my husband's girlfriend, uh, she is a, a daughter who's our goddaughter. So we just kind of view that as kind of our extended family, our polycule, if you will. And I would say in terms of identities, I identify today as a happily married polyamorous woman who has two partners. And I view them both as, um, if you will, primary partners or my, my main partners. But uh, because I am polyamorous and a former cheater, I also kind of like to have the door kind of cracked open to um, to things that, that might happen in the future because we're all evolving and changing. I also identify as a cisgendered woman. Um, I'm into kink. I identify as heteroflexible. And um, yeah, I can't think of any other identifiers right now, but yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for that. And and it sounds like an awesome kind of beautiful family you've kind of built. Yeah. Around, so I love, I love it. it. Thank you. Yeah. Well, it's taken a long time, right? My whole life to get here. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, it was hard earned. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess, do you mind jumping back in time a little bit? And when did you first hear about non-monogamy or what was it modeled for you growing up? I guess when, when did you come into this world? So I didn't, ever hear the word polyamory until I read the book, The Ethical Slut, when I was in my mid-30s. And the the way I like to tell this story, it was recommended to me by a friend who was in an open style relationship. And she knew that my husband and I were, were looking at different ways to be in a relationship that wasn't strictly compulsory monogamy. And when I first even just read the introduction to that book, at first, it was just like the most amazing moment. Like I joke around, like, you know, it was like the the clouds parted, the angels sang and, you know, and it was this amazing moment where I thought, oh my God, all these years, I thought there was something seriously wrong with me. And it turns out I was just polyamorous all along and I had no idea that was even a thing. So at first I felt a lot of joy 
But then next I started to feel a bit of anger because I was upset that I'd never heard this word until my mid thirties. And so all those years that I was a cheating serial monogamist and all my friends were getting happily married. And I, I, you know, went to therapy trying to figure out what was going on. Like, you know, no one had ever even entered into my mind or shared with me this, this concept. And so that's partly what even led me to do what I do today is I really want to help other people know way earlier on than I did what, um, that there are choices. There are choices in how to structure our relationships. There are choices in how to have a romantic orientation, if you want to call it that, and live your most authentic life in a way that works for you instead of the way that society or families or religion is kind of prescribing that we're supposed to be living our lives. So, and yeah, and going back even further, I often tell people that I'm a recovering Catholic. So I went to 12 years of Catholic school, the uniforms, the whole nine yards, the short skirts that were always too short for the nuns. And that's where I came from. So just kind of coming from that place of a lot of guilt and shame and also just being taught things that I don't believe today about our sexuality and, you know, when is okay to have sex and, um, you know, what our thoughts should be about masturbation and touching ourselves. And, and so it, it frankly messed me up in the beginning of my journey. So for the first 10 or 15 years of dating, I, I, I became a cheating serial monogamous because I thought I was supposed to marry the one and only and be on that relationship escalator. And if I was going to do that, I kept kind of upgrading the person I was dating with the next one. Cause I thought, well, geez, if I'm going to be with this person for the rest of my life, they better be amazing, you know? <laughs> and, um, and so I kept doing this really strange thing, um, that was not, uh, it was out of alignment with who I eventually decided that I was. And that was when I started to have an epiphany where I just realized that, you know, cheating and, and acting that way and behaving that way was not who I wanted to be. And so I just kind of made a decision one day that I wanted to start uh, honoring my values of integrity and honesty and that I wasn't going to cheat anymore, but I didn't know what that was going to look like. So I just started to follow my nose, so to speak. And eventually I met the man who's now my husband on match.com back when I still kind of identified as monogamous and was just trying to figure it all out. And as we were falling in love, we just had some really honest conversations and shared with each other that we both were former cheaters. And we just decided that we weren't going to lie to each other. And if we had attractions for other people, we were going to talk about it and just figure it out as we went along in a way that worked for us instead of in the way that we thought we were supposed to, or even the way that all of our, our friends and family seemed to be living their lives. Um, cause we just found that that wasn't really working for us. And that's kind of how that, that whole journey went, so to yeah. speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he hadn't, it sounds like he hadn't necessarily explored it in an ethical capacity either up until or consensual, right. It sounds like you both had sort of that, you know, like you said, the cheating background and we're honest with each other about that, which is, which is yeah. tough to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we he had a colored background. So he had some moments where he was dating multiple women and they knew about the other women, but they weren't maybe totally happy about it. He also had a moment where he was dating somebody who was cheating on their spouse and that ended really badly, partly because of that. 
So uh, we just both had some struggles with figuring out how to live our, our most authentic lives and struggles with maybe accepting ourselves or finding somebody else to accept us that we, we just found that monogamy wasn't really working for us and just wanted to also act on our desires. If we uh, decided that we had feelings or, you know, sexual urges for more than one person. And so we just kind of, um, we were really lucky that way in the sense that we kind of grew in the same direction together and at the same time. And mm -hmm. um, oftentimes when I'm working with people, some of the struggles they're having is like a difference in growth or a difference in pacing, like one person wants to go faster than the other. And so I was really lucky that way in that uh, my husband were, we were more or less going at the same pace and in the same direction. And, um, and that's partly why we've, we're still here 18 years later and, uh, and having a, a wonderful time, a blissful life, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and thank you for sharing all that. And I think one thing that just kind of stood out to me was interesting and I hadn't even really thought about this, but like your point about if you have to be with somebody for the rest of your life, that you are kind of constantly looking well, and there's only one, there's one person out there. So you're constantly looking for that person and you find, find somebody. And then if you see somebody that's a little better, like you said, it's kind of like upgrade and then upgrade again and just keep upgrading. But like, that's, you're never going to like be satiated in a certain sense. Right. Like, so that's, that's kind of a trap and yeah, that's tough. Yeah. And it was a trap of my own making because I just, at the time I just didn't know there was another way to do it. But right. yeah, I mean, to your point, like I was never going to get to that nirvana, right? There was always going to be somebody else, partly because I'm evolving and changing. So therefore my interests and what I find hot might evolve and change or, or also I joke around, I think redheads are sexy. I think blondes are sexy. Mm -hmm. I think brunettes are sexy, you know, so, so like that wasn't going away. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. 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 Mm -hmm. That yeah. natural connection to like, yeah, to people in general, like in, in having that all innate within us. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. So so how did it look when you and your husband decided to actually put this theory idea of non-monogamy into practice. like into practice or into mm -hmm. action? Well, first we were very thoughtful people, I guess. So we we just talked about it a lot in the beginning. And then at one point when we were still just dating, my uh, husband had brought up going to a nudist resort called Hedonism. Mm -hmm. And I thought that sounded interesting. We'd never done anything like that before. Um, and so he kind of dropped the subject and I thought, huh, you know, that sounded neat. Maybe I'll follow up on that. So I ended up organizing the trip and we went and it was kind of a funny story because first they put us, there was a nude side and a prude side. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So first they put us on the nudes, I mean, I'm sorry, the prude side and our room just, it actually just had a horrible smell to it. Like, I don't know what happened in that room, but something really <laughs> bad happened in that room. And so we complained and said we wanted another room. And they said, well, we only have empty rooms on the nude side. We can show that to you um, if you want to see what, what it's like over there. And we were like, sure. You know, so they give us this tour and yeah, we were just it was interesting just to see, you know, 30 naked people hang out at the pool in the hot tub and, um, and they, they showed us the rooms and we thought, well, take it, you know? And so we spent, <laughs> why um, not? Yeah, exactly. We thought, what the heck? And, um, so we were there for a week and the, the first, like literally 20 minutes of being naked by the pool was definitely odd. 
but it was odd because of simple things like feeling, you know, air and a breeze in places I wasn't used to feeling that, you know, <laughs> and maybe like the first couple of times somebody would walk by, you know, I'm like, I wonder what they're looking at. Are they looking at, you know, my naughty bits or what? Um, but after the first 20 minutes, it felt like the most natural thing that I'd ever done. And then when we had to put clothes on to go to dinner, it felt strange. I was like, mm-hmm. man, can't we just go to dinner naked? That would be so nice. And then by the end of the week, we were, you know, hanging out with people in the hot tub and getting flirty with people. And so that was, that was kind of our walkway into um, more of the swinging lifestyle. But what we learned was that it wasn't really just about the recreational sex aspect, although that was fun. It was also about making connections and becoming really good friends and having developing feelings for people and letting that be okay. And around that time was when I read The Ethical Slut. And that's when I learned the, the word polyamory. So we kind of went to the the nudist resort first. And part of my story I tell people is a month later, my husband asked me to marry him. And I don't think that was any accident because I think, you know, by us having that experience, he thought, ah, okay, so we can successfully have something untraditional and that's going to work for both of us. Maybe this is the the gal for me. And, um, and then we eventually got married, but we did write our own vows and had a very untraditional wedding. And we just left out the forsake all others parts, but we left everything else in, you know, love, honor, and cherish and all that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, But we just kind of wrote our own vows so that we were, you know, honoring those for the rest of our lives to the best of our ability. Yeah. yeah, we did the same thing. <laughs> we did, <laughs> um, <laughs> minus the, the the hedo part, but the vow, we did the vows. <laughs> the vows part. Please, yeah. uh, that's awesome. <laughs> the like somewhat more traditional wedding, but yet yeah, not traditional at all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. but, um, I was curious. So when you went to hedo and those first steps, how were there challenges that you ran into in the beginning there, or was it? Did it feel pretty easy? I guess. How did that go in your relationship? In our relationship, I would say it it went pretty darn easy. Uh, honestly, it was I was just kind of like an awakening mostly, and uh, we were like two kids in a in a candy store in a way. The only challenging moment I had, but it wasn't necessarily with my soon to be husband. It was when things started to heat up in the hot tub, and there was a couple that basically wanted to have a foursome with us. And it just felt super fast to me. And I got shy and I kind of like ran to the room and locked the door, you know, <laughs> but uh, I was like, this is a little too much. I, I was ready to like kiss, but that was about it. Um, so it, that part just went a little bit fast. And my husband was just kind of honoring where I was at. He was kind of neutral, you know, so he was like, mm-hmm. okay, we can hide out here and not answer the door if they knock. Um, so, but it, so that was another, like, I guess a pacing timing thing, but, but later on, you know, we, we did have a foursome with that couple many times. Uh, so it was just really, it was just kind of shocking all at, all at that, at that moment too. Right. Yeah. That's the only thing I can think of that was challenging. Otherwise it was incredible. You know, it, was, yeah. it just yeah. it really flowed and felt very natural. Yeah. And it sounds like the, it sounds like you said you read the ethical thought fairly shortly after that trip. And at that point, did you and your husband sort of make the transition? It doesn't sound like you were like ever like the full on swingers necessarily, but you had some more casual connections. Um, and not that there is such a thing as a full on swinger. I don't know what that <laughs> officially is. I know is. what you mean, I think. <laughs> um, I'm just painting everybody with a broad brush here. But the, the I guess the shift to more like to the deeper connections to the polyamorous side of things did that happen pretty quickly after that? 
or how did that go? No, not necessarily. We we did develop a close friendship with that couple that we met in Hito just by coincidence. They happened mm-hmm. to live near where I grew up. So we're still friends to this day. We don't actually play with them sexually anymore, um, mainly because the wife kind of had a change of heart in that as their kids got older. But I guess what happened was once I read The Ethical Slut, we went down a journey for about two years, no joke, of just researching. So then I read Opening Up and then I found different websites and, um, you know, and discovered lots of different areas to learn from, including about about swinging. So we did just kind of explore with that couple. But again, it, it started to look not just like swinging anymore because they became really close friends of ours. So it, it was kind of like a slow evolution. Mm-hmm. And um, and so then after the couple years of research, I did put a profile on more like a, a sexy dating site. And I had a, a date with a fella that I ended up seeing for about four years and my husband dropped me off on the, at the date and, um, and just, you know, give me, make sure you give me his address. If you go back to his house and, and we just kind of came up with all these different ways to keep it safe. And so that also he felt very comfortable. And I'm also lucky in the sense that my husband doesn't tend to feel jealousy very much. So that wasn't really an issue. He was just trying to make sure that I was safe. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that's kind of how, so I kind of started dating on my own first. And then shortly after, um, he's, I would say maybe, maybe like a year later, he started dating one of our, one of our close friends. Um, when they started to get close as she was going through a really bad divorce and, um, and they were in an open relationship. We found out later. And then after, you know, after that divorce, the two of them started to date. Um, so that, so then that just was kind of how that journey progressed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when, you said that your your husband didn't have many jealousy issues when you started when he started opening up on his side. Did have you struggled with jealousy at all? And if you like, can you talk on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, there's no accident that I wrote a book about jealousy, right? So. Right. <laughs> yeah, I figured you'd, you'd get there. So. Yeah. So, but what's um, I did struggle with jealousy, and in the, those early days, it was partly because when my husband's first partner, they were very very affectionate and kind of adorable and sweet with each other. And the person that I was seeing at the time was a little bit more standoffish. He wasn't as affectionate. So that's where the jealousy happened when the four of us would hang out. And I saw, you know, my husband and his girlfriend being all like smoochy, smoochy and huggy kissy and whispering sweet nothings. And and the guy I was dating was like, so pass me a beer. You know, um, <laughs> I started, that's, that's where the jealousy kind of came from. And also the fellow I was seeing was also dating some other women and, we eventually broke up in a very dramatic fashion because he was cheating on me. So um, some of my jealousy stemmed from him hiding information from me and hiding partners. Uh, So, you know, so there was some uh, ways that that was showing up too. So I ended up doing tons of research about how to deal with jealousy during those early years. But I will also add that a lot of what I studied and learned, it wasn't just about jealousy and intimate relationships. Like the, the first jealousy uh, feelings that I was dealing with in my life were um, in my career. Like when I would get promoted above other people and then they would get jealous and angry of my promotion. And then it showed up in my friendships. Um, I had a, a friend in my life who um, was jealous of my achievements or like writing the book on jealousy, ironically. Um, <laughs> <you know? laughs> so, so like there's, 
the, the book was written from the lens of being in multiple relationships for that community because I love that community. But mm-hmm. a lot of what I've learned about dealing with jealousy was dealing with jealousy in all different aspects of, of my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because that's a really good point because it's not just relationships. It can come up in a lot of other ways as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, so the the learnings that I have in the book are very hard earned from lots of different areas of my life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How have, so I, it sounds, so you and your husband, your now husband, basically had the conversation about the non-traditional or open relationship from inception almost. Um, but I'm mm-hmm. curious, like, how have you two seen one another grow over the last 18 years? And maybe like, are there pieces of that growth that you don't think, and I know it's kind of impossible to project, but that maybe you would attribute to the non-monogamous journey that you've been on that you maybe wouldn't have gotten there without that piece? Hmm. That's a great question. Mm -hmm. Um, it's harder to, it's harder to answer that one. Partly because my husband and I were just very fortunate. Like our value systems kind of naturally line up mm-hmm. and we we get along very easily. Um, so it's just kind of been this natural growth that he and I didn't have to work that much at. But I guess the, the part maybe where we've grown is in um, like when I'm having issues with, with some of my partners and learning how to... Um, not put too much of a burden on him, you know? So say I've got an issue over here with, with partner a, you know, how much do I discuss that with my husband? And so I think maybe that's, that's probably the best way I can answer that is I think we both had to learn really valuable boundary setting using that as an example where, um, where I had to learn if I was overburdening him and he had to learn how to say, you know what, I can't really talk about this with you anymore or tonight, you know, let's, let's give it a rest. Or maybe you should talk to about that with somebody else. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe you should write a book about jealousy and get your thoughts out that way. Um, but so I think that's maybe a place where we, we had to learn how to grow is how to manage our emotions as it related to our growing polycule with our, with our other partners. Yeah. Because that's tough, right? If you're having an issue with another partner and your husband always becomes the sounding board for that, and it's really out of his control, right? Like he can't fix it. He just has to listen and Mm -hmm. which is a valuable role to play, but that's, that's still tough to do at, at a certain point. Yeah. And it becomes complicated also, if like, if I'm having an issue with the other person that we live with, because mm-hmm. it does affect him because we all live under the same roof. So I guess that's another area is that we've had to grow is learning where each of our, uh, as I like to call it, sometimes your growth edge is. And for my husband, his, his default is to play peacemaker mm-hmm. and to kind of want to smooth everything over instead of maybe getting to resolutions. So I don't know that we would have figure that out. So I think that is something that we learned uh, by having multiple relationships and living under the same roof. Cause it was another way where it was like a gray area of like, okay, so how much does he get involved in this situation? Uh, because some of it is just pertaining to my relationship with my other partner, but some of it is also relating to that. We all live under the same roof and we have to find peace and harmony here as, as an unusual family. So yeah. I think that's also been some of the, the challenges that we've had to face that we definitely wouldn't have anticipated very well anyway. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That leaves a question where you commented on the conflict. Like when you have conflict with a partner, um, 
Do you have any suggestions for handling that? Like, I know you're all living together, which is, that's a different, I guess, different Mm -hmm. dynamic, but your husband also has another partner. And so like, if there's conflict in any any one of the uh, dynamics, do you have strategies for handling that as an overall polycule? Because it affects everyone a lot of, it can affect everyone. And um, that's something I think that would be helpful if you have any thoughts on. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the old adage I think is true that we've probably all heard in real estate, it's always location, 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 and, and multiple relationships. It's communicate, communicate, communicate. Um, so I think it is really important to have lots of communication. And I think sometimes it, as people are opening up, sometimes people don't realize just how much work that is and how much time it takes and how important it is to really hone your skills to learn how to both communicate in a healthy way where you are speaking respectfully and compassionately to to your partners and your partner's partners and um and and also um so that's kind of one piece of it but i would say the other piece of it is learning how to know when not to communicate. And what I mean by that is sometimes you may have some emotional things to sort through or process on your own. And you can do that either by, by journaling or talking to an impartial friend or a professional, like a a coach or a counselor and knowing when that's the space to work that out versus uh, determining when it's time to talk to your partner. Because um, I think sometimes people can damage their relationships by say, you know, knee jerking and, and, uh, you know, acting out or lashing out and not speaking respectfully or compassionately or honoring the needs and the, the truth of the other person and even themselves. Um, and so a lot of it, a lot of times is it's important to, um, you know, not only, not only to talk a lot, um, but to know when not to talk, you know, yeah. um, and to know when it's kind of like your own stuff to work through first um, and also the in-between because there can also be an in-between place where, um, you want to bring somebody in the know, like give them a heads up, like say a relationship ends, for example, and you're grieving, you know, so it might be really important to say to your partner, Hey, um, you know, I'm, I'm really grieving this relationship. I'm super sad right now. And I, I might be locked in my room crying sometimes, but I, I want you to know that that doesn't mean that I value you any less. And it doesn't mean that I'm not here for you. Just, um, just, you know, if you can just maybe give me some space and, and some understanding, but, but know that I still truly, you know, value you and cherish you and adore you. I'm just going through some stuff right now, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so also knowing like those in between places to be too, or also another, another situation is if you're going through something and you're confused and you don't even exactly know what your feelings are. So it can still be powerful to say, Hey, I don't exactly um, know where I'm going to end up here, but I realize that I'm, I'm working out some things. And as soon as I, I get a, a, a finger on it, I'll clue you in. Um, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm kind of working through something right now, you know, but that way you don't have to necessarily say, I've got it all figured out and this is exactly what's going on, but it might be valuable to just say, Hey, I just, um, you know, need a little bit of room to maneuver or, um, can I use you as a sounding board? Are you available right now for me to use you as a sounding board and kind of asking permission um, giving that other person the opportunity to say, uh, yes, I am available. I will be delighted to talk to, to you about this, but also giving them permission and the space to say, you know what, you, you know, we've talked about this like for hours yesterday and I'm not, I don't have the bandwidth to do it today or, or I don't feel like it's appropriate. 
maybe to talk about that with you, you know, um, and, and then they maybe kind of encourage you to talk to somebody else. So I think there's, there's all these, um, different avenues that you can go on and becomes a skill to learn which of those paths to take. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's super powerful. Just all of the points you just brought up because it's all, it's such a tricky dynamic to navigate, but it's also, um, it takes practice. Like everything mm-hmm. you just said takes practice. And I think that's. Well, and there's not a one. So it's not like, here's the answer. It's like, right. what's happening, assess a thousand different inputs and then figure out what to do with that information. And right. And in the yeah. meantime, you are probably like, you're working through your own emotions and it's easy to like, just react with whatever emotion you're feeling. And it's like, no, you have to be aware enough to take a step back and figure out the best, like, the most appropriate way to react, like a way to handle the situation, considering everybody involved, including yourself, uh, it's challenging, but it's also, um, yeah, important to practice. Yeah. And I guess that's one of the reasons I love this whole journey is I guess I love a challenge and, um, (laughs) and I, you know, I simply do just orient to and define myself as being a polyamorous person. But I would say another piece of it is I do love personal growth and I do love a challenge and I do get bored easily, you know, variety is interesting to me. And so I have the bandwidth and the desire to do these practices and, and to, you know, help other people along that, that journey as well. But I think that can be daunting to people at first when they, they just don't realize, wait a minute, what? I have to learn all these new skills and I have to practice this daily. And it's just easier to scream and yell and run out the front door, you know? Um, so, you know, so, but it is, but the hope I would like to give people is that, there are skills and techniques and tools and and professionals to work with that can help you along this, this journey. And it is all possible. And it's not necessarily like an either, or, you know, it is a journey that anyone, if they want to um, can go on, if that, if that is as they're maybe learning more about their, their own truth and how they want to show up in the world or how they want to be in a, in a relationship structure that works for them. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that maybe is, kind of leads into one of the questions I was curious on is like the decision to move in with like to have your partner move in, I don't know, move in with your partner, whatever, whatever way it happened that you now live with your partner and your husband, not that your husband isn't your partner, but you're, (laughs) you get the point. Yes, Um, I do. I'm not trying to devalue anybody here. Just the, the decision to move in the three of you and how, like how that came to be and like, how did it, change things like you know was it harder was it easier was it some of both um so we've had um this is the the second partner that i've had move in with us and um so that each had its own challenges so that the first partner that moved in uh was the one who eventually um who did have other partners and eventually cheated on me so so there were some you know i would say the challenges there were you know i definitely um had moments where i was overburdening my husband with complaints or my stress or my jealousy uh which is again what led me to kind of do my own research on the subject um that prompted that um and also working through um when he would have dates over you know um so that's definitely another area where i was just learning how to maneuver through the jealousy and learn how to um, get to know the people that he was dating and, um, take some of that fear out of it as I got to know them. 
And, um, and then of course, when uh, it ended very poorly, you know, that was super challenging and upsetting for both of us when he, you know, he ended up moving out pretty abruptly. And there was, even though it ended in a bad way, that doesn't mean there wasn't still grief. You know, there was still grief to deal with because there was a lot of great things about, uh, that particular trio of people living on one roof. We had a lot of fun. We got to know each other. So there was still grief involved in realizing that person wasn't healthy to be in our lives anymore. And we kind of had to, um, for everyone's sake, we kind of severed those ties. So there was a, a period where I just kind of grieved and got my head screwed back on straight for a few months um, until I felt like I was kind of ready to get back out there partly because I do identify as polyamorous. And, um, and then eventually I did meet the, the fellow who lives with us now, my other partner. And we met on OkCupid, and, uh, which was my first time checking out OkCupid. And that was super fun. I enjoyed that. Um, and we fell in love pretty quickly, like within the first couple months. And at the time, I thought that he was happy living on his own. Um, but what ended up happening was about five months into the relationship, we just had a kind of surprising conversation that ended up with him saying, I would, I would love to move in. And I was like, what? Okay. Uh, I hadn't even thought of that really until now. Cause I thought you loved living on your own. And, um, but we didn't want to be, uh, we didn't want to make a, a hasty decision. So, um, we had, you know, lots of conversations with first, I broached the topic on my own with my husband, just to let him know this was something that had come up. And so we didn't get surprised by that. And we, uh, we just, the three of us just talked about it for a few months and we just kind of decided that it made good sense to, um, to not have him move in. And so we were at like a year mark just to kind of make sure like, okay, everyone's cool. We, you know, we're pretty serious about this. And, um, and then we, we went on from, from that place. And I would say in terms, and before he moved in, one of the things I said to him was, I explained how the, the first situation ended really badly, you know? So it's like, I don't want to have a situation like that. So let's just be transparent about that. And, um, and we also just talked about that once you do live with somebody, it does become more familiar, right? It takes some of that excitement out of, out of the equation. And so we just had candid conversations about that and decided we were both okay with that. Um, and then, you know, after he moved in, I would say, you know, most of the time it's, it's been lovely, but there some things there, I guess it's a situation too, where you're always learning more and more and more. So I can't say I knew him a hundred percent before he moved in. So Mm -hmm. after he moved in, I definitely learned some more things about him and, you know, just like any normal human being, we all have things we like and things we don't like. So there were some things that I didn't know about where I was like, huh, that doesn't really (laughs) excite me. Um, (laughs) Um, and there were other things that was like, that's awesome. You know? Um, so just kind of learning, like, it's like peeling an onion. So as the onion got peeled, some things I was like, this is awesome. And other things I was like, that's not so great. How am I going to deal with that? And um, so, and we have learned to deal with that. So just a, one, one example of things that weren't so great were we, uh, we've done some renovations in the house and my husband and I, like I said, we get along so easily when we've done renovations, it's like, we're having a big party you know, every day. Like, this is amazing. Let's make that blue and this yellow. And, <laughs> and we just love the whole process. But then when we added in a third person, it became this big fight, you know, uh, because uh, we weren't naturally agreeing on how to get things done. And so it became like 
in some, some days it felt like torture getting these house projects done. And then by the time they were done, I just thought, I don't want to do this ever again, you know? (laughs) Um, And I never could have predicted that. So, um, but we have done some house projects since then and they've gone a little bit better, you know, so we're learning. Uh, so I guess, you know, those are some of the things like you just can't predict. Um, and, and I do, I did recognize that like when he moved in, like we couldn't know every single thing about each other because we're also all evolving and changing. So, um, I, some of that was a surprise in the moment, but, um, but we have worked through it to the best of our ability, but we're still, we're still learning, you know, we're still learning and we're still growing. Yeah, no, and I think I think one thing you touched on early on there was like the moving in almost tempers some of that excitement. Um right? yeah. where like if you're seeing this partner maybe a couple of times a week, it's it's that NRE kind of lasts longer, right? Because it's like, oh, I only yeah, we've been together a year, but we've really maybe only seen each other like 50 or 60 times because it's you know once a week or twice a week. Mm-hmm. Did you feel when you moved in and it was every day, all, you know, all day there in the morning, there at night, you know, did you feel that shift like in the energy and in the excitement? Like how, how did that look? And NRE is new relationship energy. Yeah. If anyone's not familiar sure. with that term, <laughs> I would say we were, we were lucky that I would say for the first he moved, actually, I think he technically moved in at about 10 months or so. Um, and I felt like we felt new relationship energy for like a year and a half. So, so there was a number of months there where it did feel just like super exciting and, oh my God, I have like the best life ever. The two people, you know, I love who I think are just so hot and awesome are upstairs and downstairs, you know? And so I definitely was just kind of having that blissful, grateful feeling for a long time. But I do remember the very first argument that we had and it was over the dumbest thing, you know, (laughs) it was so dumb. It was about what to watch on TV. And, um, like, that's how stupid it was. And I, uh, I was shocked. Like, cause I was like, we've had this blissful year and a half and we're going to argue about what's watched on TV. Like this sucks, you know? So it was kind of like this bubble got burst and it, but I, again, I wasn't surprised cause I knew it was going to come eventually. It was just a matter of when is it going to be a year and a half, two years, you know? Um, so it was, uh, it was just a moment to, of, um, humbling, I guess. And we've definitely had some, you know, some different arguments and blowouts since then, which has also been something to notice and work through again, because it's, it's interesting with multiple relationships because this relationship over here might look like this, you know, and, and feel like this and maneuver like this, but this relationship over here might be completely different sometimes. And again, I I do love a challenge, but there are moments where I can feel confusing. Like what works over here might not work in this relationship over here. And, um, so, so I think that that's, um, that's definitely, um, I don't know, just a, a big personal growth aspect. And I think what some people can also get a little surprised about as they're kind of maneuvering through things. Does that answer your question? Yeah, no, that's great. And I think that's uh, also something really interesting you touched on right there at the end is like the ways that you maybe resolve conflict with your husband are different than the ways that you resolve conflict with your other partner. And that like, you don't have like a one size fits all solution. Like, Oh, somebody's upset. Here's what we do. It's like, (laughs) this, this is like a, a a custom fit solution every single time. And that that's tough. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes for people to do that, you're always figuring it out on the fly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, I guess it does feel a lot like you're kind of like dodging and weaving and learning and just kind of putting it away in your your mental toolbox. Okay, so for, you know, partner A, here's the tools I pull out and, and when and how. And then, you know, for partner B, this this is what I've learned works or nothing's worked. I got to keep trying, you know, because <laughs> um, that, can, that can happen too. But what one quote I love that I've heard recently is that, Oftentimes we, we feel like our, our needs or our values are in conflict, but it's really just a crisis of imagination. And I think that that can give people a lot of hope is just to realize that there, there's always a way through. Sometimes it's just about being creative. Um, and I should say that with a caveat, I mean, you know, sometimes people are just incompatible or a relationships run its course, but I mean, if two people want to be there and they want to work towards being in a healthy relationship, Generally speaking, you can usually find a, a way forward if you're creative and, and keep at it. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, switching topics a little bit, I, I had a question about you, you feel, or it's obvious that you are fairly open about your relationships and you, you know, you have your podcast and a book and everything. How have you navigated that as far as being more open in society with having non traditional relationships? Have you, had any pushback or are you pretty, I guess, can you just speak about that a little bit? I'm not going to put words in your That's mouth. That's fine. <laughs> but do you, just to clarify, you mean more about being like coming out to people? Is that what yeah, you mean? Okay. Yeah. That'd be so, great. uh, in the beginning when we were in that research phase or just the first couple years of seeing other people, my husband and I were very private. And it was partly because we were still figuring out like, is this who we are? Is this how we want to live our lives? Are we going to have children? Cause we weren't sure yet about what that looked like. So in the beginning we were very private. And when we decided to come out was a moment where my husband's girlfriend said, you know what? I feel like you're kind of ashamed that you're seeing me and it doesn't feel good. So I'm going to start to, you know, pull back in this relationship and maybe spend less time with you. Um, and so she was setting really healthy boundaries. And uh, my husband came home to tell me that. And as we were talking about it, we obviously wanted to honor where she was, but it just gave us pause. And we thought, huh, we're kind of being dicks, you know, and <laughs> pardon the pun. Um, it just <laughs> meaning like, we're not being very respectful. Um, and, and maybe we need to change instead of her kind of changing her tactics. So that was the epiphany of when we realized that we were polyamorous, this is who we were, and we were ready to start telling people. So over the next two years, we, uh, we practiced our elevator speech with each other and we were super nervous and we eventually came out to pretty much all of our friends. And most of the time it went very well. Sometimes friends would say, we already knew that. Of course we knew that already, you know, <laughs> um, but you know, there were a couple times where it did not go well. People got angry. Um, and the fallout from that is I've at least had maybe I would say two friendships that have pretty much uh, dissolved to almost nothing, even though they won't actually admit that that's why, you know, just mm -hmm. kind of mysteriously kept evaporating away, um, despite my best efforts. And so I just kind of accepted that. And, uh, and then as the journey, um, expanded outward, um, my, as far as family goes, um, my parents were, had, were deceased by the time this was at this, our point, uh, this point of our lives. So we didn't have to have that conversation with them. We told my sister very early on and she was very accepting. And with my husband's family, um, his, his mother had kind of an unusual life. So, and they were very close. So he told her pretty early on and she was also extremely accepting because, 
you know, her life wasn't picture perfect either. And he chose, um, he elected not to tell his father because his father was really up in age and he didn't, he wasn't very close to him and didn't even see him that often. And, um, and his father has since passed away. So they never had to have that conversation, but as time went on, um, he did eventually tell his, his brother and his other siblings, he wasn't comfortable at first, but as time wore on and, um, as we got older, uh, various health issues had come up where one or both of us were hospitalized. And once we got to that point, he wanted to tell uh, some of his siblings because he wanted them to like, God forbid something bad were to happen. You know, mm-hmm. he wanted to be honest about how his life worked and who he was. And also he wanted to explain like, who are these people in the room? You know, that, yeah. you know, that's my girlfriend, you know, and this is you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, so he just wanted to be really transparent about that. And that also went very, very well. Um, so it's, we've had, um, you know, I guess mixed reviews, but I would say, 85% of the time, uh, the people in our lives were, were accepting and understanding and, um, and, or, or they eventually got there. Like sometimes we did have another situation where somebody said, you can't do that. You're not allowed to do that. And we were like, well, we are, so <laughs> you can, <laughs> you know, and, and it just, they just had some religious upbringing that they couldn't wrap their head around it, but it just kind of took them a couple months and they just asked us a bunch of questions. And now to this day, they think it's awesome. And they like brag about us to their friends. You know, so, so sometimes it just kind of took a little bit more time to kind of get people down, down that path. Yeah. Yeah. And how did it, um, help or how did the relationship with your husband's girlfriend change when you did start coming out? Like, was that what she kind of needed to kind of come back and and Mm. be back in it? That's a great question. I think that she was happily surprised because I didn't really think she thought we were going to do that and maybe touched and honored. Absolutely. So yeah, I definitely think that helped a lot. And they've been together now literally over a decade. Um, and we, we definitely consider their whole family part of our family. It did, um, as that relationship between the two of them progressed, I will say it did affect my friendship with her. Um, to say negatively wouldn't be really correct. It, it, Cause it's not negative. It went from being like where we were really kind of close, like girl friends, you know, like friends that were girls to her t- kind of time and attention kind of shifted over to my husband. So now we're, we're, we're very good friends, but I'm just not that close to her, like her emotional world on a day to day basis. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. so that is a bit of, it, it's just kind of an evolution that I accept. Um, and it doesn't necessarily bother me, but it did change. It did, you know, to be fair, it did, yeah. it did change. Yeah, no, it, that makes total sense. And I think mm-hmm. yeah, also like, I'm kind of impressed with her, like you said, like setting those boundaries and coming to you and like, that's a hard thing to do, right? Like mm-hmm. she doesn't want to step back, but she kind of, like you said, she said it didn't feel good and she didn't know what else to do. I think that's a really tough, that's a tough thing to do. So mm-hmm. I just, I wanted to acknowledge that. Yeah. yeah. Well, amazing. and we were really, it just showed what an amazing human being she is. And that's, you know, I'm sure why she's still very, very much in our lives to this day. But what I loved about it, even from everything that I've studied and, and what I work with clients on is she didn't try to tell my husband what to do. And she spoke to him respectfully and she just set her own healthy boundary and just kind of said, Hey, this is where I'm at. And this is what I'm going to do uh, without making any demands on him, which I just thought was incredibly 
mature and amazing. And it also just kind of showed all the work that she'd done um, because she'd just been on her own personal growth journey and it, it, it showed, you know, it showed that she, how maturely she handled that, you know? Yeah. And it kind and of forced to- us to kind of step up our game at that moment. Yeah. yeah. And going back to like the communication earlier, like she had obviously done a lot of that work and like she was putting into practice and yeah, that's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, th- thank you for sharing all that about, you know, about that whole coming out process and what that's mm-hmm. looked like. And I think that's amazing. And um, before we kind of let you get into sharing more about where people can find you and your book and your podcast and all of that, I guess we just wanted to give you the chance, like, is there anything else you wanted to share or maybe any final thoughts to kind of just tie everything together that you've kind of maybe learned and come to over the, the last roughly you know 20 years that you've been exploring this? Yeah. Thank you for that question. That's awesome. I would just like to, a couple things I'd love to highlight and just, I've had such a, a, a journey that's really ebbed and flowed and had a midlife crisis. I went through a period of depression. And and when I really came out the other side of it, I would say two messages I really have for people is to find happiness in a way that works for you. And I really want to encourage people that it is possible to live your most authentic life. And I really truly believe that it is a fundamental human right to love who we want, how we want in a way that feels comfortable and natural for each of us. And I believe in the ability to choose that for ourselves. And I also just really believe that improving our relationships improves the fulfillment of our entire lives. So, you know, when we think about looking back at our lives when, you know, we're on our, our last days on the planet, that's the things that we remember. We, we think about, you know, who do we love? Who are we really glad we, we spent quality time with? And what was the quality of that relationship? So I would say to just not underestimate how your happiness is, is contingent on the relationship with yourself. Certainly that's the first most important relationship, but then the relationship with our loved ones. And I invite people to give themselves permission and the space to figure out what that means to them. Yeah. Awesome. Well, very well said. So yes, thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And I guess I'd love to have you talk about the work that you've done too, so that we can get more listeners sent your way and readers sent your way. Sure. Yeah. Well, it started, um, I have my book. So the, the book is um, Jellies' Survival Guide, How to Feel Safe, Happy, and Secure in an Open Relationship. And um, you can find that on Amazon. It's in print, Kindle, and Audible. And I'll tell people that there's some fun Easter eggs at the end of the Audible because I thought if I'm going to stand in my master closet for an entire day, I might as well do some fun things in the, at, at the end of the book. <laughs> 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 um, but that was um, that. The book is there as a resource, and uh, it has. Uh, it's been extremely rewarding just getting emails from people saying how it's helped them, and uh, I really appreciate hearing from from people in that way. And then from that book, it really springboarded into me becoming a, um, a relationship coach. And so from that place, um, if you go to my website at lovingwithoutboundaries.com there, if you want, if anyone who is struggling, a lot of times people feel like they're, um, they just don't know a way forward, whether they are trying to decide, you know, if they are somewhere along the spectrum between monogamy and and polyamory and don't know what to do with that. Um, Or sometimes if people are trying to open up a relationship and they're having some issues doing that, 
And I also help people who maybe have identified as um, polyamorous or being in an open relationship for a number of years, but they've just kind of hit a wall, like maybe a new partner came in or maybe something's changed and they just don't know how to get through that. Um, you can go to my website and book a, um, a free call under uh, on the coaching tab there. Um, and there's lots of information and lots of free resources there as well. And I um, mean, also that's where you can find my podcast. So, um, so yes, yeah, so that's uh, been uh, another labor of love that I, I truly enjoy that I've been doing for the last six years. And I love interview similar to what you both are doing. I love having people on to tell their story and other, other experts and just give my listeners as um, much free information and resources as they can get their hands on because I am so passionate in helping people live their best lives and painting it in a way that works for them, not, not worrying about, you know, the, um, what, again, what society or anything else is telling them what they're supposed to be doing. And, um, one quote I love is that you can't be unapologetically joyful until you are unapologetically you that's from Jonathan Fields from world domination summit. Um, Mm -hmm. and another quote, yeah. And another quote I love is it is better to be at war with the whole world than to be at war with your inner self. So it can just be so liberating to just start to really own who you are and step into that power of who you are and start sharing that with the world. And, um, and that's one of the things that I, I really love helping people do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for for all of that work, and I, I think, yeah, we're su- we're super happy we ran into you a couple of years ago at WDS, and that we got the chance to reconnect, and and hopefully we get to do it again. It'll either be this June or next June, we assume. So depending <laughs> on how the the pandemic tapers off here, so yeah. we're we're just yeah we're we're excited to have you on and and get everything out in the world. So thank you again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And links for everything that you mentioned will be in the show notes and the podcast player. So um, if anyone listening, go find all that there. Well, thank you for staying in touch. It was so amazing getting to meet you at one of my favorite conferences that I, I, the pilgrimage pilgrimage I love to make. And I'm really just so impressed with the body of work that you've put out there. And, um, and I, I'm just really happy that you're another amazing resource for our community. We can't get enough resources out there, I think, to just help normalizing consensual non-monogamy. So thank you for what you're doing. Likewise. And thank you. And I guess with that, we'll let you get along with your your morning. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. And we're back. Thank you so much, Kitty, for coming on the show, sharing your story, and for all the amazing work you do, your podcast and your coaching work as well. And, and just, your books. And, and books, too. Exactly. Everything. You do it all. We're, we got to start writing books. Everybody's <laughs> got a book. So we, and again, we, links to everything that she mentioned are in the show notes. Yes. I was going to say that, and you talked over me. Sorry. No, it's good. <laughs> I encourage it. <laughs> all the time. I'll just work on that. Perfect. <laughs> Anyway, we did want to to do another shout out to our Patreon community. A huge thank you to everyone who's part of that. We are in awe of all of you who have joined and we love the community so much. So thank you. Thank you. Um, We do have a couple of dates as we said in the intro. We'll mention them again. A men's group call coming up on May 17th, a women's group call on May 19th, and the Q&A, monthly Q&A on May 26th. So you're not going to want to miss those. Go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Click on the Patreon button. Go 
check out all the info. It's only a couple dollars a month to join. And if you don't like it, you can leave. So. And the last thing we wanted to say was that if you are looking to start meeting people out in the real world, IRL, as IRL. they call it, mm-hmm. uh, one of the things that we highly encourage and one of the services that we absolutely love is stdcheck.com. It is our favorite way to get tested for STIs. Uh, we've been using it for years. It's super fast. It's super simple. And it's actually gotten a lot more affordable this year. Uh, it used to be almost $200 for a 10 panel test. It is now $130 when you use the links on our website and you get a $10 discount. Bonus, using those links supports the show. And Emma and I will be forever grateful for you for doing that. Yes. To you for doing that. So yes. thank you in advance. Um, check it out. It's a great service. We love it, and we wouldn't recommend it otherwise. Yes, go check it out. And with that, next week we have an interview with G. It is incredible and super fun, so you're going to want to come back and listen in a week. Yes, we will see you all then. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening.